Oh, my God. 
minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Me on. 
my book it bit me like a thing It shot too far, cut your hair About me, it's what feel in my head I have to now we'll see you there My book it bit me like a thing It shot too far, cut your hair About me, it's what feel in my head I have to now we'll see you there Rock, 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 it's my home Brit me like Vatim, Vatim Be shot to vow and cut your hair Oh, bar mitzvah tfil in mahay Achatu now we'll see you there Vabuke Brit me like Vatim, Vatim Be shot to vow and cut your hair Oh, bar mitzvah tfil in mahay Achatu now we'll see you there Rag, 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 mitzvahot Rock Smachot, that's done by uh, Eighth Day, uh, off of the CD entitled Slow Down. Shirei Pinchas, volume number two, gave us Micha Gammerman with Elokai. The Ahafta done by Shimmy Miller, and you heard David Gabe in there with Tov Lahodos. Imesh Gachech, it's Derek Achim, Leif Tahar, brand new from volume five with Lachad Odi, and of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's a Friday on this April 21st, day 25 in the month of Nisan, the year 5777. Tough and Zion. Today is day number 10 in the counting of the Omer, day number 10. That's one week and three days. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. It's Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmini with candle lighting in the New York area at 722. 722 candle lighting in the New York area. 
We'll bench Rosh Chodesh ER tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh ER will be Wednesday and Thursday, a two-day Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh ER will be Wednesday and Thursday. We'll also start to say Pirkei Avos tomorrow, the first chapter of Ethics of the Fathers, Pirkei Avos. That is tomorrow, and um, that is the custom between Pesach and uh, Shavuos. Friday morning, it's JM in the AM, 49 degrees outside here in the New York area with 92% humidity, winds are east at 10 miles per hour. Morning, light rain with a high temperature of 59. Then tonight, cloudy skies, a low 53. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, a high temperature, 63 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 82 and supposedly heading into the 90s tomorrow in the holy city of Jerusalem. We're at 49 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Well, I want to thank everybody who really held down the fort during my absence. And that goes across the board, the entire JM in the AM and Nahum Single Network staffs. I want to thank Miriam L. Wallach for sitting in yesterday live here in studio at JM in the AM. Much appreciated. And I thank uh, Avrami and Yoni and Amatis and Mark and everybody who had a role in keeping us going. Uh, during my absence over the last uh, week and a half or so. Much appreciated. Amazing programming, as you would suspect, starting now with JM and the AM as we include our weekly update with Malcolm Honline. He'll be part of this show starting at about 7.40 Eastern time this morning. Rabbi Yudin, of course, with our Torah portion. Uh, Naomi Nachman coming up at 9 o'clock with a uh, wonderful edition of Table for Two. Kedem presents our incredible Erev Shabbos music mix. That's going to happen starting at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time. We'll go all the way until candle lighting time. And don't forget that Mark Zamek has prepared a wonderful Friday Erev Shabbos live lunch for 1 p.m. Eastern time today. That's 1 p.m. Eastern time today. So you really should have it here at the Nahum Single Network all day long. Simple as that. And tune in with whatever method you use. And we welcome your comments, of course. That's something that uh, most of you know about. Your comments are welcome. You can go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app, for Android and or iPhone, and you can comment away on our app. Always appreciate that. We get comments from everybody from around the world. And we're all set. It's Friday. We are live. We are in studio. It's JM in the AM. Um, action-packed Friday, as I described to you. And uh, plenty more coming up between now and 9 a.m., and then, of course, all day long at the Nahum Single Network. I thank you very, very much for tuning in and being part of this incredible radio experience from around the world. I um, I thank you all for tuning in and um, reacting positively to what we present every single Monday through Friday between 6 and 9 a.m. and what we present before 6 a.m. every single weekday and in terms of bonus JM and what we present every day after 9 a.m. with all of our amazing programming. It is really much Appreciated. Monday is Yom HaShoah. We will have appropriate programming, of course. Monday is Yom HaShoah. We will have appropriate programming here at the JM and the AM uh, between 6 and 9 a.m. Uh, so um, we will take care of that, of course. Holocaust Remembrance Day coming up Monday. And, um, and that's that. Uh, more coming up here on a Friday morning broadcast. This is JM in the AM, and this is Simcha Liner.
ברטוי ועל חברוי, מלאכי השורס מדברים אל אבטוי, מלאכי השורס מדברים אל אבטוי, לפני הקודש ברוך New York City studios. My thanks to Miriam L. Wallach for taking over yesterday and for really anchoring a whole bunch of programming yesterday, her own program, plus, of course, a live lunch, um, and doing a, a wonderful job with the JMNAM as well. So thank you to Miriam L. Wallach. Thanks to everybody who has been an amazing support system over the last uh, couple of weeks, including Amatis and Mark and the entire JMNAM staff, and, of course, our Nahum Segal Network personnel, including uh, Avrami and Yoni and everybody who's uh, been pitching in and participating. It is much appreciated, that is for sure. Cole Zimra had Hamid Daber. You heard Shalom Rav, brand new from Akumzis in the Rain, Volume 3. 
That's called a Kumzitz in the Rain Jr. Avramel had Vaoso from Bring the House Down. Piamenta with Keladon, Simchaliner's Pischi Lee. Friday morning, JM in the AM for April the 21st, the 25th of Nissan. Good morning, all. Day 10 in the counting of the Omer. If you got the count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. It is day number 10 in the counting of the Omer. Galit Sal in the background. We'll do our news from Israel at the top of the hour. It's Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shmini with candle lighting time at 722 in the New York area. 722, Rosh Chodesh ER will bench Rosh Chodesh ER. Uh, the Rosh Chodesh ER will be Wednesday and Thursday. Wednesday and Thursday, a two-day Rosh Chodesh. I thank you for tuning in to America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. And I thank you for tuning in through all the different methods or people listening to their web radio right now. There are people tuned in on the computer at NachumSiegel.com. There are many listening on our phone line at 605-562-4400. There's some people listening to our app, our NSN, NachumSiegel Network app for Android and iPhone. And don't forget, you can comment on the app at any point that you wish. And uh, let us know what you have to say. Comment on the NSN, NachumSiegel Network app for Android and iPhone. Some people are using the uh, Bluetooth in their car to tune in. Some are using the auxiliary cable. A lot of different methods, a lot of different ways. Uh, some people are listening in archive form. Imagine that. Don't forget, Monday is Yom HaShoah. We'll be here between 6 and 9 a.m. with appropriate programming. Uh, Monday is Yom HaShoah, V'Hagvura, Holocaust Remembrance Day. We'll have appropriate programming this coming Monday right here at JM in the AM, as you would think we would. Tomorrow we start to say Pirkei Avos. Tomorrow we start Ethics of the Fathers, Pirkei Avos, Chapter Number 1. Tomorrow around Mincha time, that is the... Uh, that is the uh, custom between Pesach and Shavuot. Morning light rain with a high temperature of 59. Cloudy tonight, low 63. Tomorrow we've got mostly cloudy weather for Shabbos with a high of 63 degrees. Yerushalayim going into the 90s tomorrow, believe it or not. How do you like that? We're going to be at uh, 49 right now here in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Galitzal in the background. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. Don't forget the weekly update is on the way. Rabbi Yudin and plenty more. Keep it right here as we say Boker Tov from Jam and the Am. גליצאל השעה שתיים, כאן שני בירנבוים, עם מה שקורה עכשיו. שר ההגנה של ארצות הברית, ג'יימס מטיס, נועד בצהריים עם ראש הממשלה בנימין נתניהו. במסיבת עיתונאים לפני הפגישה, אמר מטיס כי לקראת יום השואה, חשוב שנזכור לעצמנו שאם אנשים טובים לא פועלים יחדיו, אנשים רעים יכולים לחולל הרבה רע. ראש הממשלה ציין כי ישראל רואה שינוי מבורך במדיניות האמריקנית במזרח התיכון. Very clear and forthright words, uh, Mr. Secretary, that you had to say about Iran. This follows very strong and forthright words on the part of uh, President Trump and very forthright deeds against uh, the use of chemical weapons by Iran's proxy in Syria. רשמנו לפנינו את דבר, דבריו הברורים והכנים שלך, אדוני השר, לגבי איראן. זאת בעקבות דבריו החזקים והכנים של הנשיא טראמפ בנושא, וכן מעשיו הברורים נגד השימוש שעשתה שלוחתה של איראן, סוריה, בנשק קימי. דברי נתניהו מהם הביא כתבנו אריאל זיגלר. חקירת הפיגוע בפריז. כלי תקשורת מדווחים כי המחבל נעצר השנה על ידי משטרת צרפת, אך שוחרר. כתבנו נתנאל דרשן. 
על פי דיווח בסוכנות הידיעות AP, המחבל שחוסל אמש נעצר לפני כחודשיים בחשד שאיים על חייהם של שוטרים, אך שוחרר זמן קצר לאחר מכן. הבוקר נעצרו שלושה מבני משפחתו של המחבל, וכן אדם נוסף שחשוד בסיוע לו. התביעה בצרפת ממשיכה לחקור הבוקר כיצד הצליח אדם שהיה ברשימת המעקב של החשודים בטרור להגיע לשאנז אליזה במרכז פריז, להרוג שוטר ששהה ברכבו בעזרת קלצ'יקוב, ולפצוע שניים נוספים. תאונת פגע וברח בדרום. נער נפצע בינוני בכניסה ליישוב חורה, ככל הנראה לאחר שרכב פגע בו ונמלט מהמקום. צוות מגן דוד אדום פינה את הנער לבית החולים סורוקה בבאר שבע. כתבנו רמי שני מוסר כי המשטרה מחפשת אחר הנהג הפוגע. חשד להטיית משחק שייערך במחזור הקרוב של ליגת העל בכדורגל. כתבנו איתמר קציר. בכיר בקבוצת כדורגל הנאבקת על ההישארות בליגה הגיש תלונה לפי הייתכן שאחד ממשחקי המחזור הקרוב הוטה. אתמול הודיעו בקבוצת הפועל תל אביב כי ביקשו להציב במגרשים חוקרים ממשרד החקירות שעובד עם התאחדות הכדורגל בכל המחזורים שנשארו עד לתום העונה בפלייאוף התחתון כדי למנוע הטיות. ועד ההורים הארצי הודיע על התנגדותו לדחיית חופשת ל"ג בעומר בבתי הספר. כתבתנו מיכל צ'ין. המהלך מערער לא רק את מערכת החינוך עצמה, אלא גם את המשק הישראלי כולו. כך אמר פז כהן, יושב ראש ועד ההורים הארצי. מוקדם יותר הודיע משרד החינוך על דחיית חופש ל"ג בעומר ביום אחד, מ-14 במאי עד ל-15 במאי, בעקבות פניית הרבנות הראשית לישראל, מחשש לחילול שבת. ליגת האלופות בכדורגל בהגרלת, בהגרלת חצי גמר המפעל שנערכה לפני זמן קצר במטה וופא בשוויץ נקבע כי ריאל מדריד תתמודד מול יריבתה העירונית אתלטיקו. כתבתנו קרן בן מרדכי מוסרת כי מונקו תשחק מול יובנטוס האיטלקית. התחזית מחר יהיה שרבי בכל הארץ, בראשון ירידה ניכרת בטמפרטורות והן תהיינה נמוכות מהרגיל בעונה, בשני ללא שינוי. אלה החדשות שעורך עמרי רחמימוב בצוות איתמר דרוקמן וניב בן אלי. Shabbos koinesh, yom chemdash 
J.M. in the A.M. Lachadodi done by Zevi Kaufman and Company. Collection entitled Language of My Soul. Uh, before that, the Moshav Band with their own Lachadodi off of Shabbat volume number one. You heard Cole Zimmer in there with Menucha Vesimcha. My name is Nachum Siegel. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good to be back in the... Uh, in the comfort of the New York City uh, Nahum Single Network Studios, 17 minutes after 7 o'clock. Thanks for joining us, no matter where you are around the world. My thanks to uh, Miriam L. Wallach for sitting in yesterday during JM and the AM. And here we are on this Friday morning presenting what we would consider to be a a, a regular format Friday as um, Malcolm Honline is expected to join us this morning for the uh, weekly update. We will have that for you coming up. Uh, that happens about 7.40 Eastern time each Friday morning here at JMNAM. And a lot has happened. I don't know if you're aware of this. Maybe some of you or all of you who have been preoccupied with the holiday are not aware of some of the things that have been happening <laughs> over the last uh, over the last couple of days. But there's been a lot going on, I can tell you that much. Uh, not just a couple of days, but the last couple of weeks. Uh, so we will explore some of those things coming up. Here at JMA and weekly update about 20, 25 minutes from now. Rabbi Yudin's going to speak to us about Parsha Shmini on this Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmini. I remind you, it's day 10 in the counting of the Omer, day number 10. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Candle lighting at 722 in New York. They're expecting a big heat wave in Jerusalem, in the uh, Jerusalem area of Israel. They may hit the 90s tomorrow. We're just at 49 with a High today of 59 in the New York City area. Well, Ben Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh ER is Wednesday and Thursday. Rosh Chodesh ER is Wednesday and Thursday. We bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. And um, again, a two-day Rosh Chodesh beginning on Tuesday night. It'll be Wednesday and Thursday for Rosh Chodesh ER. So there you have it. Monday is Yom HaShoah. We will have appropriate programming, as you would suspect, between 6 and 9 a.m. Again, Monday is Yom HaShoah, so make sure to be tuned in. Uh, Yom HaShoah's Holocaust Remembrance Day. We'll have that for you Monday right here at JM in the AM. And I'm trying to think what else I have to tell everybody. Hope you had a wonderful Pesach. Hope everything was really super and enjoyable. Uh, a lot of concerts, events, different things going on. No matter what you used to um, be misamech, no matter what you used to bring happiness and joy to this Chag that has just passed. I hope it went well, and that, in fact, you were able to experience great joy and happiness. Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shmini, plenty more coming up. It's a, another Friday live edition of JM in the AM from New York City. My name is Nachum Siegel as we continue at the Nachum Siegel Network. Yeah. 
It's R.E.A. Kunstler with Ms. Marshir off the CD entitled From the Depths, except Saturday, Great Request, Lechou is the name of that one from the CD entitled To New Beginnings. MBD's Curry Bone off Shabbos with the Werdigers. Yerachmiel had Lachadodi off Secret of Shabbos. Uh, Zevi Kaufman and Moshav Band had their versions of the same um, Lachadodi words uh, earlier than that here at JMM. Friday morning on this April 21st, the 25th of Nissan. Good morning, day 10. And the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. We're up to day 10, believe it or not. It's Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmini. Candle lighting at 722 on this Erev Shabbos. 
Um, heat wave expected in uh, Jerusalem. They'll be in the 90s tomorrow. We'll be in the 60s in the New York City area tomorrow. Candle lighting at 722. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh ER is Wednesday and Thursday, a two-day Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh ER is Wednesday and Thursday. We also start to say Pirkei Avos tomorrow, Ethics of the Fathers tomorrow afternoon. It'll be Chapter 1, Perak Aleph of Pirkei Avos. Weekly update coming up. Malcolm Honline is going to join us. He's Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Malcolm Honline coming up, or by Uden coming up about 8 8.15. At about 8.15 this morning here at JM in the AM with a discussion about Parsha Shmini and uh, everything you would normally find here on a Friday we will have for you, I'm proud to say, uh, at the Nahum Siegel Network. Don't forget right after, right after JM in the AM this morning, it's going to be another presentation of a Table for Two with Naomi Nachman. Naomi will host nutritionist Beth Warren, blogger and cookbook author Leah Shapira, and baked by BB owners Sarah BB and Barbara Dayan. That's all coming up at 9 o'clock. At 10 a.m., the Erev Shabbos music mix brought to you by our friends at Kedem, including the Erev Shabbos live lunch with host Mark Zamek, coming to you at 1 p.m. Eastern time uh, here at uh, the Nahum Siegel Network. 1 p.m. Eastern time for the Friday live lunch. Mark Zamek is going to be taking care of that. Amazing weekend programming, of course. Uh, Avram Weissman is going to be Matis's guest on JM Sunday. He's the uh, head chef at the brand-new Kosher Culinary School. Avram Weissman is going to be Matis's guest this coming Sunday on JM Sunday. That airs between 7 and 9 a.m. Eastern time. If you have any comments about anything we do, you could utilize the NSN app. The NSN app for Android and iPhone gives you an opportunity to comment on anything and everything that's going on uh, here at the JM and the AM and the Nahum Single Network. So take advantage and make sure to tune in. I want to welcome everybody who's tuned in with all the varieties of method. I want to thank those who are listening on their web radio. I want to thank those who are tuned in to our website at NahumSingle.com. I want to thank those who are on the NSN app for Android and iPhone. I want to thank those who are using the uh, Bluetooth and or auxiliary cable in their car. In order to listen in, I want to thank those who are on our phone line at 605 562 4400-605-562-4400, a phone line that lets you have direct access to our programming 24 hours a day, to our live programming. And I welcome those of you who are listening on the archives as well, uh, no matter when it is, uh, an hour later, a day later, a week later, whenever it is that you're tuned in to our archives here at JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. Plenty more coming up, including the weekly update. This is brand new from Kumsitz in the Rain, Volume 3, here at JM in the AM. <laughs> My Hashem Eloikai, Veloikai Abrisai, Moidehani, Lefanecho. 
Jam in the AM. It's brand new from a CD entitled A Comes It's in the Rain, volume number three here on a Jam in the AM Friday morning. It is a Friday on this 21st of April, the 25th of Nissan. Good morning, all. Day 10 in the counting of the Omer on this Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmini. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh ER will be Wednesday and Thursday. Candle lighting in the New York area, 722. 722 officially in the New York City area. Uh, and I thank you for tuning in to JM in the AM. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend our incredible network to their readers in the hundreds of thousands. If you want an amazing opportunity to print out hundreds, if not thousands, of articles before Shabbos to read about what's happening in this amazing world of ours, you go to JewishWorldReview.com. Also, a big thank you to our friends at OnlySimchas.com. OnlySimchas is way beyond Simcha News. They have an incredible news feed with good news and other types of news and everything you'd expect from a great news feed regarding what's happening in the Jewish world, check out OnlySimchas.com. We thank them for including our content in their uh, in their presentations on a regular basis. We are live on this Friday morning broadcast. My thanks to everybody who helped out during my absence. We have our weekly update in just a moment. A reminder that Monday is Yom HaShoah. Monday is Holocaust Remembrance Day. We'll have appropriate programming all through the morning between 6 and 9 a.m. Eastern Time during JM and the AM. Make sure to be tuned in and uh, encourage uh, the youngsters out there and all the people in your community to listen in and be part of a Yom HaShoah Holocaust Remembrance Day observance. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. It's good to be back with you and good to have you back away from home, but here at home. How did the uh, Passover holiday go in California? In San Diego went very nicely, thank God. And uh, made it. Great Sadarm made it through the whole week. That's eight through the whole week. (laughs) Are you saying there were things that were being done in excess at your program, just like some other Pesach programs? You've heard about it. <laughs> heard about it, experienced it, and sometimes don't know how I survived it. <laughs> anyway, uh, the next journey, let's just talk for a second before we get There's so much to talk about over the last couple of weeks, obviously, in the news. But just for a moment, let's concentrate on the next big journey. And that's, of course, happening on the 24th of May. Yom Yerushalayim, this time around, is going to be number 50, the 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem. Obviously, obviously you'd encourage people to get a trip to Israel on the calendar no matter when, but there's something extra special about going there just a few weeks from now. Uh, how about a word about how important it'll be and how fun and inspiration it'll be to be in Jerusalem for the big number 50? Well, this is only going to occur once in most people's lifetime to be at a 50th anniversary. The 100th anniversary is a long way off, and uh, I think this year especially, as Jerusalem has been the focus of so much attention at the U.N., at UNESCO, at the, even in Congress and the administration, it's a great opportunity to show our solidarity with Jerusalem, our appreciation of the reunification of Yerushalayim, of, of what occurred not only 50 years ago, but what occurs every day and every hour, every minute, that we have Yerushalayim uh, as it is, that we not take it for granted, that the world sees we are committed to it and filling the streets with it will be wonderful, wonderful events uh, for the public and and uh, all sorts of celebrations uh, during those days, and I think everybody will want to be part of it. It's something you will tell you and bring your grandchildren so they can tell their grandchildren. Yeah, it's going to be something. I'll remind everybody uh, from our standpoint. You want to uh, get in touch with our friends at Mizrahi, Mizrahi.org 
slash YY50, Mizrahi.org slash YY50. Again, the, it is now April 21st, and I begin. I believe that journey actually begins on May the 21st. So limited time to get going, to make those plans, and to uh, pivot directly from Pesach to the next big celebration. I mean, we have others as well, including Yom Atzmut, but you know what I mean, the next big one in Jerusalem, which is Yom Yerushalayim. Uh, by the way, speaking of Jerusalem, someone mentioned this to me the other day. I was just curious... Uh, uh, your thoughts about it. We keep talking about the President of the United States and the possibility of one day soon, hopefully, the embassy, United States embassy, being in Jerusalem. Is is, is, is there, in, in fact, a procedure with a waiver that normally is signed or has been normally signed by past President of the United States that if President Trump does not sign it, automatically that embassy move would take place? Yes, it, it means that the, the, the law that was passed in 1995 I was proud to play a very important role in because uh, we partnered with Senator Moynihan in the initiation, but many others, Senator Lieberman included, who helped uh, get it through the leadership of both houses of the Senate uh, and and, uh, Congress. Uh, joined, and we had this amazing ceremony in the rotunda, the last such event in the rotunda, and nothing like it since. Uh, And even Prime Minister Abin came for it. The uh, law... Uh, in order to get across the board support, built in a presidential waiver, which is common, uh, so as not to be seen as usurping presidential prerogative. And every president, uh, even those who endorse the principles of the of the legislation, and certainly in campaigns, everyone does, uh, exercised their right to waive it for six months at a time. Meaning, the next waiver comes up in in a few weeks, and if uh, President Trump uh, decides not to 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 waive it. it. It will have an impact, meaning things like the question of uh, issuing passports for people who are born in Jerusalem and putting down Jerusalem, Israel. I think would would come into effect. There will be many other um, uh, implications. I think for it, uh, it doesn't change the status of Jerusalem, right. but it will. I think. Um, it, yeah. it, it'll certainly enable uh, uh, positions that we all have advocated to be yeah, the, uh, the, advanced. The, the person who mentioned this to me was sort of suggesting because it is, uh, as we might say Talmudically, a Sheval Tase procedure that the president does not have to actively do anything, that that right. might encourage him to, in fact, you know, ignore the waiver and, and not sign. Do you think that that, in fact, you know, would give him more of an impetus? Or if he decides to do it, no matter what it takes, he'll just do it? I don't know. I mean, there are all sorts of reports that are circulating. One that that he has told uh, Abbas that if he that he uh, would waive it if he ends the practice of paying terrorists. Uh, so then you get into the dilemma about the trade-offs and and questions. But I don't know that it's true. I'm just saying that it's one right. of the reports. So I don't know what is going into this because you know he wants to have a summit this summer. If he feels it would be an impediment, then he might decide that uh, it would be better to to waive it for six more months and see if they deliver on it. Perhaps if after the Abbas visit he sees there's no progress, he may just say, you know, this is something I'm going to do, or actually, as you said, something I'm not going to do. Right. So it's it's premature to say it. Uh, uh, I think those, you know, who anticipated the move happening right away and others, it's, it clearly hasn't, and it's a, it's not a simple thing to do, as simple as a lot of people thought initially. Malcolm Holmline with us, weekly update. Uh, you, you would like to remind the New York Times about what aspect of Marwan Bargudi's bio? That he's a murderer, 
that he, a multiple murderer, that he's serving uh, multiple life sentences, that uh, this is not, uh, you know, a political activist, but a terrorist. And uh, the, the, he was involved in, in some of the most horrific attacks, including the murder of children. And that the, the giving him space on an op-ed page in any event, I think, is, is uh, outrageous. But to do so without properly identifying him and giving credence to this, this is really, and he, you know, he's leading a hunger strike now, which involves uh, many prisoners in uh, Israeli jails. Not all, far from all. Uh, in fact, lesser support than I think people anticipated, both in the streets and in the prisons. This is a political ploy on his part. It's a challenge to the leadership of Abbas. He wants to be re-recognized. His standing has uh, diminished somewhat. He was, he's often been the most popular personality as a terrorist amongst the, uh, um, the population. Uh, he, he's, he will be in jail for life, and therefore his, the idea of him being a candidate, maybe you know, get elected in jail, it's happened before, but he can't serve. The... Um, uh, so for him, this is a, a political maneuver to to challenge uh, Abbas. Abbas, I understand quietly, is is fighting against the uh, the hunger strike and doesn't want to do anything that will enhance the status of of uh, Barghouti now. And the New York Times played into his hand, became a, a tool for him. Yeah, Frank, uh, what do you think of the correction? By the way, sufficient or not? Insufficient. Wow. Better than nothing, but yeah, because Frank, but it does not really make the case. First of all, the damage is done once something like right. this is published, reproduced around the world. Right. Corrections hardly get noticed, and but the mindset that that allows for that really should be questioned. Yeah, no question about that. All right, a lot of elections going on around the world. A lot of up, a lot of updates necessary. First of all, in France, it seems for the first round of elections is coming Sunday. That things are very very tight. What could you tell us about what's happening there? That if this is the first round, there will be follow-up rounds. The uh, I think the, the killings yesterday in Paris are going to have an impact on this election. Uh, it may help Le Pen. Uh, I, I think the comments of some of the candidates it, that this is something we have to live with will not sit well with the French people, and I'm sure they will amend that. The um, I think 230 people have been killed in in, in France since... January of 2015, in terrorist attacks. In fact, in Marseille, they prevented what could have been a very bad attack because they found a stockpile of weapons, of grenades, of explosives, and apprehended, I think, two people, both of whom they say were radicalized. And it's a reflection of the of the broader problem that France and Europe face with the return of ISIS fighters, with those influenced by ISIS, the Internet uh, recruitment and uh, other means of recruitment that uh, is taking place. And they don't have the manpower to to adequately monitor all of those whom they suspect or who they are concerned about or should be concerned about. And the the you know, this is going to be reflected in the in voters being concerned about their security. It is something you hear about more and more in, in Europe. I think Le Pen was, um, her numbers were going down somewhat, uh, but this could well uh, boost them up. All right, since you mentioned ISIS, before we go on to the next election question, let me ask you about uh, the U.S. attack in Afghanistan, uh, a, a very significant one militarily, one that certainly got the attention of the entire world, and the media uh, certainly um, uh, continued to... Uh, 
uh, I don't want to say overplay it, but but continue to stress uh, just how powerful uh, a, a, a an attack this was. First of all, do, do we know how effective it was? Do we know if, in fact, it accomplished the goal in terms of what the U.S. wanted to do uh, regarding ISIS troops? Well, the first thing, in terms of sending a message, I think it was a very loud one. Because <laughs> I understand you could hear it for in, in, for a great distance. Second, it says America is willing to use the weapons and that our generals are authorized to to take this kind of action, that they didn't need presidential approval. I think they, how much damage it did on the ground, they're not reporting, they're not saying how many people were killed or how many were were taken out or how many tunnels uh, or there are caves in that area. The question is, did they collapse? Did they make them uninhabitable? Did it drive uh, you know forces out into the open? So I, I don't know the answer to that. We haven't. They have say they're not going to disclose uh, that information, but I think the message that it sent is is a strong one. Just like the missiles in in uh, Syria, et cetera. These these things send an, uh, a message, and America is back in the game. America, um, you know, will respond to these uh, things. I, I'm sure it will be challenged by people, but the message is. Uh, to the region is an important one. And we had an opportunity to discuss Russian reaction and attitude toward what happened with the U.S. in Syria. Uh, what could you tell us about how Russia reacted to this, to the U.S. action in Afghanistan? Well, obviously, they, they weren't happy about the uh, this demonstration of force. Uh, Russia has a long history there with the Taliban. And, you know, the Taliban are being aided by Iran now, according to reports that um, have been in the press. And they um, uh, and the increasing tone, by the way, of comments about Iran has been very important. Hey, Nikki Haley yesterday, General Mattis, Ambassador Haley uh, to the United Nations, uh, General Mattis, the Secretary of Defense, talking about their activities in various areas, including with the Houthis, and that they're providing more aid in Syria against Hezbollah, were mentioned by them, uh, in, and of course, what's what's uh, going on regarding the, uh, the Taliban. So the, the message to everybody, I mean, was heard. And right now, U.S.-Russian relations are, uh, to say, restrained. Right. And uh, how that manifests itself, we don't know. In in you know, in the future, uh, the meeting between uh, Secretary Tillerson, Secretary of State Tillerson, and Foreign Minister Lavrov did not seem to um, reset the relationship, but well, public expressions of uh, concern, et cetera, um, criticism even, uh, that this is uh, obviously has implications regarding Syria, regarding Iran, regarding Turkey, regarding the region, and on um, a, a broader scale. That might even include North Korea. Yeah, not to overstate, yeah, we'll get to North Korea in a minute, not to overstate the obvious, but the, the actions that we witnessed, especially this one in Afghanistan, likely would never have been taken by the previous administration. Safe to say? Well, they did not take it. What they would have done in this circumstance, I don't know if there was particular information. But the fact is that, uh, as I've heard from many leaders in the region, they feel America is reengaging. And um, that was not the case uh, in their assessment about what was happening in the past. And the reports that Russia has been flying fighter jets relatively close to um uh, to Alaska, you know, close to the border of international airspace. I mean, I, I'd have to assume that, that 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 does not normally happen. They are asserting themselves, and we're going to see more of it. And Putin um, takes the pride issue very seriously. I, I 
again, we're seeing it not just there, but in many areas where Russia is being more overt and, and uh, aggressive, and that includes the reports about what they're doing in, inside Iran in establishing a, a base and some a base of operation, the form, the bases they have in Tartus and Latakia in Syria, in Libya, and reports of other uh, potential places. So uh, Iran, Russia is, um, is asserting itself in, um, in many ways and certainly in, in the FSU areas. America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is with us. We are live on a Friday. He is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations as we discuss the weekly update. All right, you mentioned Korea. Now, it's hard to believe that it's only 14 days ago that we last spoke about the news of the week because in addition to everything we just mentioned, uh, you had this uh, major uh, encounter with, uh, I guess we could say, with the U.S. and Korea, right? Obviously, it was Korea and o- other nations as well. Uh, some type of standoff as Korea try- as, as, as North Korea tried to exhibit and remind the world about their nuclear capabilities and, in general, their military strength. Uh, I mean, we actually went into one of the weekends of Yuntif. I, I, I say this somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but people were saying, wow, I wonder if there's going to be a nuclear war. And certainly the way the, the media was presenting it, it sounded like it was, in fact, a possibility. How would you evaluate the situation now with North Korea? I did not think that there was a possibility of a nuclear war, and I don't think North Korea represents uh, a, a, a direct danger to the U.S. It represents a very serious danger, and, uh, you know, they have missiles which can reach the United States, at least supposedly, and they are looking to advance it and to advance their nuclear program. They are serial proliferators. Uh, to me, the more serious part is that this is a Korea-Iran joint um, uh, or interrelated uh, operation, and that the missile technology, the nuclear technology, and advances are are at the least shared. Uh, and the, but the immediate danger is to our allies, to Japan, to South Korea. To they can, it's a very aggressive regime that doesn't seem to care about the interests of the people. The country is uh, extremely poor. The Chinese are the primary. The responsible party being both the neighbor and facing an influx of millions of people should the regime collapse so that they don't want to see uh, chaos emerge there but the, the the North Koreans are you know play brinkmanship and and engage in the kind of public thing when you when you realize that it's a country that doesn't have uh, uh, the economic base of it. They, I don't think that they want a, a sustained war now, uh, even uh, skirmishes right now that could escalate into something more than that. The, the Japanese, as you know, are very um, sensitive about the issue of Korea and uh, and especially North Korean advances, uh, military advances. So for the U.S., uh, the leadership role that it's taken is is important in putting marker and sending our ships there. But I think the, really the Chinese have to be pressured into doing stuff. And it goes back to the question of where, what role Russia will play, given the other issues. And they have limited capacity. Russia doesn't have any, also the economic fortitude to, to, to maintain operations in many places. They have enough power to do what they want and to make uh, the kind of show of force but even in Syria, they, they've made a very limited uh, investment in terms of their own manpower, planes, et cetera. And 
made a lot of money from selling weapons. Well, I'm confused a bit on this. So, so whose responsibility is it more, Japan or China, in regard to uh, North Korea? Well, China is on the border, and China represents, I think, 80% or more of the of the imports and trade with uh, North Korea. And North Korea's domestic infrastructure is is very limited, so they have the most direct leverage and stake. Uh, Japan obviously is is very concerned. South Korea is very concerned about what they do, uh, and. Uh, I think it's a combined effort, but it, it should be a world responsibility when you have a rogue regime that has the track record that they do to to determine what is the most effective and, and uh, um, punishing way to deal with it. All right, back to my questions regarding the elections. What exactly has the uh, has has Prime Minister May in Great Britain called for? What type of election? What type of vote? It'll be an election, a parliamentary election, because right now her polls are very strong. And I think in the advance of uh, you know the implementation of Brexit, she feels that this is a good opportunity for her to um, hold the election and for her party to do very well. I mean, she's only in power for a, a short amount of time. Well, they learned from Israel. I was just going to say, frequent, I think, but I think they, elections, you know, very healthy for but democracy. I, but, but, but I think they beat Israel on this. I don't think Israel's ever had one this quickly, frankly. Well, the average government of Israel lasts not more than two or two and a half years. That's the average over since Israel's creation. So it's, uh, yeah, the, the, but this is a, a shorter period. But there are very vital issues that England faces, she faces. And I think she wants to take advantage of the of the opportunity at this moment. But that, that has been true often in, in Israel and other countries uh, where it isn't set to be like here for years, uh, but that they can call elections uh, whenever they feel it's appropriate. Sometimes leaders miscalculate on this. Absolutely right. And sometimes they wait too long. Sometimes they don't wait long enough. You know, it's a it's a judgment call. It can you never know what backfires. You don't know what happens. You see, in the French election, you know they have a state of emergency now, and the the heightened concern as a result both of the attack and the potential attack and all of the history of these last years, um, an attack like this one against the police and in such a visible place on Champs Elysees, that I think impacts. Uh, could impact uh, the election. I, I don't think it'll be decided. Obviously, it'll be have to go to another round. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, the Mattis Netanyahu meeting today. How did that go? Very well, and, uh, they, and as it's been true for for years, uh, the military and security relationship remains very strong and uh, is being enhanced. Uh, they, uh, you know, they they talked about the common issues, and I assure you that Iran is probably number one. Um, maybe negotiations uh, or potential summits in, 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 in with the Palestinians and others are, could be on the agenda. But I would say that Syria and uh, Iran were, were probably one or two. And, of course, the spreading the role of, t- of ISIS and other terrorist entities, especially near the Golan, and, and that Israel's concerned that nothing be done that doesn't protect that area and assure that they be kept away. We know that Iran has moved forces in supposedly creating special units that will be, are called Golan units to be used to to go against the um, uh, against Israel's uh, border, both in Lebanon and in in, uh, in Syria. But the 
you know, the strong statements that we saw from from uh, General Mattis about uh, that everybody should be looking at at the trouble from Iran and uh, that they're giving more aid to the Houthi to fight the Houthis in Yemen because they're being supported by Iran. And what Ambassador Haley said, others said about it. So that also influences that the U.S. and Israel are on the same side, influences the nature of the of the cooperation. When we saw Iran put death to Israel on the missiles, right. Uh, you know, you don't need a more clear statement of their intent, and people shouldn't just dismiss it as a prank. It is a message, and we should never, you know, let our guard down and, and become complacent and say that Iran can't. Iran can, and Iran wants to. Thank God right now they're not in a position to do it where they, I think if they thought they were, in a, and he's facing an election too, and has to worry about um, Iran is facing an election, and Rouhani is a candidate to be reelected, but Ahmadinejad came in, and I think in some respects it might be good if he got elected because there isn't much difference between them except that he doesn't put on a fancy suit and and doesn't look, you know, speak as mo- as modestly as Rouhani and with a smile, but just tells the truth more openly and more brutally. And the world knows when you mention Ahmadinejad exactly what it is, and the others they say, well, they're moderates, they're different than. Uh, but in the end, the policies uh, end up being the same, and they're really dictated by the supreme leader. And the news is that he's disqualified anyway from the race. So, yeah, well, we'll see how if they can disqualify everybody. Generally, the vast majority of the candidates are are dismissed and not allowed because they have this panel that has to review them, and um, and and it's true for the modulus uh, elections as well that uh, thousands of people were eliminated from uh, the possibility to run. You know, the Prime Minister of Israel continues to tell the Israeli public that a war, another war in Gaza, is inevitable? Well, some ministers have said it uh, recently, and the the concern there is that the that Hamas is continuing to build up. You know, there was another tunnel collapse, and the right. guy was killed, and three were injured, right. but it, it's it's uh, reflective of the fact that they're continuing to build the tunnels, they're continuing to build up their uh, missile capacity, Hamas has actually been more restrained that other groups have been firing missiles uh, uh, because they want to keep the quiet until they feel they're in a position uh, to be able to exercise you know, their military might, what, what uh, increased capacity they have. Uh, not because they can defeat Israel, but because they want to kill and they want to maim and they want to capture people and get prisoners out and, and to uh, escalate the, the situation. The... Um, you know, so Hamas uh, continues to to um, uh, act. Iran, Egypt, thank God, continues to act against uh, a, a lot of them, and uh, certainly against the tunnels on their side. And it uh, it's it's a very volatile situation. The, the, the uh, tunnels were being built by Hamas's uh, Al Qassam brigade. So when people say, "Well, it's not Hamas; it's other groups and stuff," it's Hamas. And they can do it through whatever uh, front group they want or whatever um, cover they try to establish. But we know that it's it's them, and uh, and they're going to wait till the right opportunity. On the subject of Gaza war, by the way, one of the heartbreaking things I saw in Israel was the uh, address by Hadar Golden's mother to the Knesset. And I mean, obviously, she's you know she, she would like the remains of her son returned and the other family as well. Uh, but it, it sometimes you, sometimes you forget about the open wounds that remain years later 
in Israeli society. I, I did not think it was sarcastic nor disingenuine when the prime minister said to her that he thinks of this every single day. I, I don't think it's something uh, that any prime minister, I've heard it from many of them, and, and Netanyahu, I'm certain, uh, I will tell you that I think about Goldens frequently. I meet with them when they come here. I saw them in Israel when I was there last. Uh, even just giving personal support is important, but we are also working through other foreign governments and others that have contacts with Hamas who promised us uh, to intervene, and some surprising ones. But the fact is that they came to realize also that didn't help, that these guys were not interested in any kind of uh, positive action or assertion. Yeah, that I'm sure. Uh, the President of the United States has stated that the um, uh, that the country of Iran is not living up to the spirit of the nuclear deal. Uh, obviously very significant in terms of uh, you know where it's coming from, from the White House, from our administration. Uh, with this being the case, are we going to see more activity from either Washington, the White House, or Congress uh, in regard to the Iranian deal, to the Iran uh, deal itself? Is there going to be anything that's uh, going to be proposed or passed uh, to adjust the deal or to eliminate certain parts of it? That is the uh, important question that they're wrestling with now, because it, it comes up the day before the Iranian election, and uh, the... The question is, do they allow the exemption from the sanctions to, to be renewed? The Iranians say, well, if you don't, then it's over. you're violating the deal, and therefore we can violate the deal. I think we can put down markers about that. Uh, targeting uh, sanctions, again, uh, specifically aiming at individuals, businesses, and, and uh, activities related to the missile program, to the nuclear program. I think the declaration is an important one, putting them on notice and perhaps introducing the idea that the U.S. is is not satisfied with the compliance. Uh, some European leaders have uh, have said it, but they are trying to do business and want to, you know, right. exploit this situation in whatever way they can. So I'm not sure how much support we would have for it and how far the administration is willing to go. There could be, uh, uh, and Congress is looking at additional sanctions, especially against banking, against uh, certain economic interests. I think that if we could stop the Boeing sale, that would be a, an important um, important statement because the the uh, sale is to Asaman Airlines, which is purportedly private, but we know that they were used to fly material personnel to, to Syria. And more than that, the head of it is the former head of the Iran Revolutionary Guard Navy, who made terrible assertions against uh, and statements against the United States and threats. Uh, so the idea that this is some sort of a purely civilian operation and won't benefit the, the, the military activities of Iran, I think, is certainly uh, subject to a lot of skepticism and, and, uh, and doubts. So the... Um, and, and Iran continues to act in so many ways on human rights issues, taking the land from the uh, Arabs in uh, Khuzestan and to, to um, uh, in the support of terrorism around the world, uh, constantly on the on the uprise of threats against Israel that we mentioned. I mean, in every area, they are continuing to violate, as he said, not the letter or the spirit. I think both, and that the. Um, the only language that they understand is if, if they see that they're really coming up against uh, a tough stand. And, and one can say that the Iranians will make deals with others, but the fact is that if you can't 
deal in American dollars and you can't have access to the major market of the world, companies are going to think twice about whether they want to challenge or endanger their trading rights with the United States, which is why I think many companies have, in fact, not gone in. Others have, Europeans in particular. Um, but the, the uh, um, you know, the situation is far more complicated, and it's, it, people too, too often tend to paint it in black and white, and there are Iranian support groups here in the United States that have political access and media, get a lot of media access, and really give a distorted picture uh, about it, the the executions, the uh, terrible uh, situation inside the country, hardly ever gets mentioned by them. Yeah, uh, we see the attitude toward Iran. We just mentioned the president's quote: uh, "Afghanistan, quite obvious. I mean, I should say ISIS more accurately. Uh, quite obviously, based on the news of the last few days, Syria. We've discussed. I, I mean, for for those who thought his foreign policy would be wishy washy, can we can we establish at this point that at least there is some consistency to it? I think certainly you can say there's some consistency. I think we don't know yet. Uh, I don't know if you can project longer term uh, because it's still only 100 days of administration. A lot of positions not filled or people think, but you see them, uh, uh, Vice President Pence was out. They, they're certainly showing the flag. Uh, Mattis has traveled. Uh, Tillerson has traveled a great deal. Uh, many foreign leaders have been here to meet with the president. So they're certainly proactive uh, on the military sense, and one country you left out is is Turkey right. with the passage of the referendum during the time we were away, which is a massive change and and reinforces his uh, power and his uh, some say dictatorship, some say consolidation of power. Well, was there fraud in that process or not? Uh, well, according to people, you know the the uh, certainly the opposition is saying that there is, and there seems to be a very vocal. Uh, opposition, and now he wants to hold another another referendum, which would restore the death penalty, which is, by the way, barred by the EU. So that would kill any chance of there being considered for the EU. And of course, the relationship with Europe is is very strained uh, as it is. So the situation in Turkey is certainly uh, continues to be uh, volatile, to to say the least. Yeah. Well, if there's questionable activities regarding the election, <laughs> then why not just have another one if you wish? Because basically, anything he wants to pass, it seems he'll be able to pass. Well, yes, I, and there are all sorts of reports that when the initial numbers came in, he changed the rules while the election was underway <laughs> on the counting and the. Uh, you know, I've heard reports from experts who told me that the you know whole ballot boxes where not a single negative vote was uh, was found, and and there were more votes than people living in the region. So <laughs> uh, you know that happens, but uh, <laughs> it happens all right. It can affect the you, outcome. You, usually, it's more detectable in very small regions, but <laughs> <laughs> somehow in the millions, they were able to find that out. Uh, finally, uh, as Yom Hashoah approaches uh, this coming Monday. Uh, and with that in mind, and uh, knowing some of the things that have been uh, either by accident, mistakenly, or maybe unadvisably uh, said by members of the White House, if you had a few minutes to sit down with the uh, White House press secretary, Mr. Holine, on uh, these issues of um, of um, uh, conveying certain parts of history properly, what would you tell him? Well, you know, the interesting thing is that this controversy grew up around the sarin gas and the others. The sarin was actually developed by the Nazis, and it's, the, the name is the, are the initials of some of the Nazi scientists that worked on it. So it, 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 it's even more dramatic about it, and certainly the use of, of it. I don't think he intended 
it, to deny the the fact that okay, as I think, you know, people have to be very careful with statements, especially if you're uh, a spokesman for a government. I think it's the most instructive thing is the information that came out, which, as you know, we've discussed on the air for years, that the Allies knew, and there's a new book uh, that's come out detailing this, uh, that um, two years earlier than they had said, or two and a half years earlier, that they knew what was happening, that two million Jews had been killed and that five million Jews were at risk, and they did very little. Anthony Eden, who was the Foreign Secretary of the United Kingdom, um, uh, spoke about this and, and spoke that Hitler, um, you know, uh, minimized some of the, da- the the threat and the um, um, the, his often repeated uh, threat to exterminate uh, the Jewish people. I mean, they obviously uh, condemned it, and uh, they had already been working on... uh, This study came out because they were working on war crime indictments, so they understood how bad the situation was, and yet did not take actions that would have reflected uh, that that they really got the message. And these war crime um, uh, charges... Uh, it, it's interesting that uh, there seems to be limited information about what actually happened and how they translated what the information that was collected and the preparation of, of potential war crimes, what happened between then and, and the Nuremberg trials. Uh, but it's not only the historical aspect and, and some of the facts that have to be uh, you know, uh, sometimes uh, corrected. It, it's also the, the, the language that's used uh, at times, uh, not, not referencing a concentration camp you know, in a proper way, so to speak, and things like that that has uh, really irritated some people. Look, we have to be of concern because there is already Holocaust denial while the last, you know, survivors generation are still around, thank God. And, and, you're, not accu- and, and you're not accusing anybody in the White House of that, obviously. But No, it's not just the White House. I mean, look what's happening on campuses, what's happening on the Internet, the Holocaust denial, that there are governments that engage in it, and Palestinian Authority is engaged in it, others, other Arab countries, other leaders who have tried to minimize the Holocaust and, and certainly the anti-Semitic elements. Uh, I think we see less of it in the in the Arab world. And there are some uh, efforts like the Aladdin Project, which the King of Morocco supported, which engages in Holocaust education. Um, uh, it's a French initiative. There are, are positive signs as well, and, and the fact that it's taught in universities and in schools, but there's certainly a diminishing interest and relevance, and I think, uh, uh, I'm sorry to say, but I think it's even true amongst young Jews, too, that as you become more distant, it becomes a fact of history, not of experience, and not even and and that the impact is, is diminished. You know, while the grandparents are alive, while people could tell the story, while they saw people with numbers in their arms in synagogues or to their own families, that the information and the uh, that and that's why I think that this story coming out again reminds what what happens when people become indifferent when they even have information and why we speak up sometimes when we see injustices in the world that you can't just sit by. The, I think Holocaust education and uh, reaching our young people about it is is going to be more important because the memory fades. Uh, excellent point. Might be the most important point as we approach Yom HaShoah Hagura. I thank you very much. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. Have a great Shabbos. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update Fridays here 
at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parashas Shmini. Parashas Shmini, according to the Chinuch, contains six positive mitzvos and 11 restrictions. And interestingly, the bulk of the parasha is, in terms of the mitzvos, are related to what we would call the laws of kashros, that which the Jew can eat and that which he is prohibited and restricted from eating. The kosher animals, the kosher fish, kosher birds, and interestingly, when it comes to, towards the end of chapter 11, the Torah says regarding regarding literally those creeping little rodents and that which is close to the ground. The Torah says, number one, literally in Pasuk 43, in chapter 11, don't make your souls abominable by means of any of these teeming things that are b'chol hasheretz hashoretz. Now listen carefully. The Torah does not give a reason for kashros. That's fascinating. I can tell you, however, wherever the Torah speaks about kashros, be it in parshas mishpatim, be it here at length in parshas shmini, be it again in parshas re'eh, the Torah always hugs and uses the term Kedusha, sanctity, in conjunction with the laws of Kashros, which means basically it is a means of separating ourselves from the rest of the world. Now, the Torah says regarding the consumption of these Shrutzim, these prohibited animals, these teeming creatures close to the ground, the Torah says, that you are not to make yourselves tomei, impure, contaminate yourselves through them, and you will become contaminated through them. Now, interestingly, it's this double language. So first of all, take out the Chumash and note for yourself that the word v'nitmesem is missing an aleph. It should have been spelt nun tes mem aleph, as indeed sitamu, the word tomei, is spelt tof mem aleph. The Gemara in Yuma, at the very end of the third chapter, at the top of page 39a, teaches in the name of the school of Rabbi Yishmael that Avera sins mitamtemes libo shel adam, that sin has the effect of literally obstructing the heart of a person, or literally being mitamtem, based upon this pasuk, shenemar, velo setamu bahem, venitmesem bam, but 
Al Tikri, don't read it as Vinitmesem, because the Aleph is missing Elabinitamtem, but rather it means that your heart will become obstructed. In other words, that it will not be able to absorb the purity. Um, your soul will become, forgive me, polluted by the consumption of non kosher food. And interestingly, let's take a look. The contrast, the next verse in the positive, Ani Hashem Kadishtem, you are literally, you shall sanctify yourselves. God says, I am giving you sanctity, but Ve'isem Kedoshim, you are to be holy. By keeping these laws of Kashrus, the Jew is holy in many different ways. I'd like to point out something which Unfortunately, it was under the most challenging and difficult of situations, but we need to remind ourselves that even under those kinds of situations, the Jew has the capacity to rise to the occasion. And so, it has been over 60 years since the beginning of the Shoah, the Holocaust, and we still read and hear stories of the superhuman spiritual strength that the Jewish people demonstrated. Harav Yoshua Moshe Aronson, Zechron of Racha, a Rav in Poland, kept a diary in which he recorded the events of the Holocaust that he and members of his ghetto experienced. He writes that never did his faith in Hashem ever waver, nor did his spirit become depressed. He did not question the Almighty's decree. He was even able to inspire many people with his belief in Hashem. In his diary, he describes everyday life in the ghetto and how the Jews survived emotionally and spiritually despite the persecution and deprivation to which they were subjected. What impressed him most was the sense of camaraderie that was evidenced in the ghetto. Everyone agreed to take care of the next one, one another, understanding that not only was this the correct way to live, but it was also the only way they would survive as human beings. Rav Aronson writes that in the beginning most Jews did not realize what was happening. They believed the ruse that they were being sent away to work camp, where they would receive proper food and care. Little did they know the real function of these camps. Aronson was acutely aware of the Germans' real intentions, and he did everything within his capabilities to publicize this. He sent a letter to his Rebbe, the Hasidische Rav of Sokachev, the Shemi Shmuel, employing a Jewish boy who had the appearance of a German peasant as a messenger. He wrote the following note, open quote, Aunt Esther from McGillis Street, number 7, apartment 4, has arrived. To the German censor, the letter was innocuous. To his Rebbe was a reference to McGillis Esther per Zion, Pasuk Dalid, which reads, Loelenu, Kinim Karnu, for we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, Lashmidla, Rogla Bade, slain and annihilated. Rav 
Aronson was alluding to the real purpose of, unfortunately, that which was going on around him, that the ghetto was there to annihilate Jews. After he had begun writing the first letters of his note, his pen ran out of ink. He continued writing using blood collected from wounded Jews as ink. Not only did the note convey a message, but the ink emphasized its meaning. The Sakachava Rav responded with a similar message when he wrote, Open quote, David from street number 23, apartment 4, is with me. This alluded to Sefer Tilim, Perich of Gimel, Pasuk Dalid, Gam ki elech pegeitza moves, lo irara fa'ato imodi. Though I walk in the valley overshadowed by death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, most of the men in Siniki, which was the town where... Rav Aronson was the Rav, including the rabbi, were taken from their homes in March 1942 and sent to perform forced labor in Konin. Just a few days after their arrival at the camp, when they were confronted with harsh living conditions, a shortage of water and food, grueling labor, the question of permission to eat non-kosher food first arose. After an arduous day of work, they were given a tasty, thick soup, and the consultations started. Simple Jews, as well as Torah scholars, took part in the discussion. Some people maintained that the non-kosher food would be permissible only when they would become weak. Quote, said the Rav, but I believe that since a risk to life was involved, everyone must eat immediately and not wait until the verge of death. This is found in his Sefer called Ale Mirorot, literally Bitter Leaves, page 135. Now what was going on with this halachic discussion? Interestingly, Pikuach Nefesh, in a life-threatening emergency... The question is irrelevant, since such a situation supersedes everything, including the prohibition of eating non-kosher food. However, at this point, the Jews still had strength and did not feel that they were at risk of starving to death. The question was whether a situation is classified as pikuach nefesh only when the danger is already present, or whether the danger should be prevented in advance, right, Namely, that's called pikuach nefesh le'achar zman, which we call eventual pikuach nefesh. In practice, should they avoid this food as long as they still had the strength? Or, looking ahead, should all foods be permitted so that they would not sink into life-threatening weakness? We should never know to have to reconcile and decide that challenging question. The question of eventual Pikuach Nefesh came up in Kovno 2, in September to October 1941, when Jews were forced to help build the Alexotas airfield. They refrained from eating the non-kosher soup they were given during work hours, but they were afraid they would become weaker and weaker until their lives were in danger. And so Several people came to me, Rav Ashri, and who writes this in his Shelos and Chuvos Mimamakim, Volume 1, 
Question two. Several people came to him during Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, desperate to ask whether they were allowed to eat the soup because at the time there was no state of pikuach nefesh, right? That would supersede the prohibition, but eventually they would become weak and their lives would be in danger. And so, in both places, it's clear from the dialogue between the questioners and the rabbi that the reluctance to eat non-kosher food stemmed not only from the halacha, but the revulsion and concern that non-kosher food dulls the heart, as we saw in Yuma Daflamites. It should be noted that deciding cases of eventual bikoch nefesh is no simple matter. And what was the ruling of Rav Aronson? He ruled that non-kosher food should be permitted immediately so as to prevent a life-threatening emergency. And the same issue was ruled in Kovno by Rav Ashri, Zichron of Racha. When Rav Aronson discovered that this was hard for many people, he set a personal example. Seeing that many people were undecided about whether to eat the non-kosher soup, I, he writes, took a spoonful of soup, recited the blessing, Shakol Niebed Voro, out loud, and ate the soup. He explained to the onlookers that Shakol Niebed Voro, literally by whose word everything comes into being, means that everything that happens to people, even the horrible necessity of eating non-kosher food, is the outcome of the Creator's will. We are commanded to live and to sustain ourselves. And so he said, my remark, had an effect, and most of them ate the soup. And with these words, Rav Aronson sought to assuage the people's feelings and strengthen their faith. Let's take it one step beyond. It was just for us, thank God, the holiday of Pesach. You ate at least a kezayis of matzah. Because when the Torah says eat, there's a minimum amount, and that is the volume of an olive, the compressed volume, and it had to be eaten within a specific amount of time, between two and maximum eight minutes. Now watch this. In Auschwitz, Pesach, 1944, it was clear the Jews, listen carefully now, would be able to survive only if they would eat chametz. Nevertheless, he urged the God-fearing, this is Rav Aronson again, that if they eat chametz on Pesach, they should eat less than a kazayas at a time, less than a compressed olive-sized portion, with more than bichteachilas pras, with pauses of longer than kideachilas pras. And so what was the purpose of this? The purpose was, on the one hand, he was working with the people, for Chaim They were to sustain themselves. But on the other hand, it shows that even in a case of Pikuach Nefesh, Rav Aronson tried to minimize the severity of the violation by the way they ate. Small quantities, less than a Kazayas, not all at once, more than Kadeach Hilas Pras. And this was too terrible years had passed since he first gave permission to eat the non-kosher soup because v'chai bohem and we have an obligation to maintain ourselves but his attitude 
had not changed. Even in Auschwitz, he never came to think of eating non-kosher food as something permissible, and he therefore tried to figure out how the prohibition could be minimized as much as possible. That which we take for granted, we dare not take for granted. And, please God, as the parsha ends with that beautiful charge, this Kadishtem, Ve'isem Kedoshim, may we appreciate the very special privilege of having kosher food in abundance of all kinds, the ability to recite the proper brachos in order that we should, as we began with the chinuch in mitzvah, ayin gimel, where he has the laws of trefa, and he says there, the purpose of kosher is, we house a neshama, we house a holy spirit. Our bodies is that kli, is that vessel which holds the very sacred soul. Make sure that the body only imbibes that which is proper, thereby giving our soul the best opportunity to fulfill its beautiful potential and purpose. Shabbat Shalom to all.
in the AM with the Y studs here on a uh, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. That's called Menucha Simcha on a JMM Friday. My thanks to everybody who helped over the last couple of weeks during the Chag um, here at the Nalchum Single Network and JM in the AM. Uh, thank you especially to Matis Weingast and Miriam L. Wallach, who actually sat in and did shows. Oh, and Mark Zamek, uh, all of whom actually sat uh, in and did shows. Uh, during the JNAM time slot during my absence. Much appreciated. Here we are live on a Friday morning era of Shabbos from our New York City studios. Rain outside with a high of 59. We're at 49 right now in New York. Candlelighting here at 722 on this era of Shabbos. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh ER will be Wednesday and Thursday as we get set for Shabbos Parsha Shemini uh, all around the world. Uh, remember, please, that today is day number 10 in the counting of the Omer. Today is day number 10. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. We keep mentioning Yom HaShoah. It is happening this coming uh, Monday. Monday is Yom HaShoah, normally the 27th of Nisan, but when it begins Saturday night, it's moved the day, so it'll be the 28th of Nisan on a Monday. A reminder, Mr. Israel Stark, author of A Boy Named 68818. You may recall I uh, spoke with him on the air last year. It was quite an interview, to say the least. Quite a conversation. Um, if you haven't read the book, you should read it. Meanwhile, you have an opportunity to hear him speak. Mr. Israel Stark, author of A Boy Named 68818, will be the keynote speaker at the Young Israel of Staten Island Yom HaShoah program this coming Sunday night, beginning at 7.30. He'll also be Monday at the Frisch School at 2.30 p.m. this coming Monday on Yom HaShoah. Take advantage if you're in the area or part of those institutions, uh, take advantage and hear him speak. Really an amazing presentation. Hey, I want to take this opportunity to wish a happy birthday. We got this, uh, uh, I believe, uh, right after Yuntiv. I think we got this on Isru Chag. Best wishes for a very happy birthday, number 10, going out to Akiva Schreiber of Bayswater, whose Hebrew birthday was Achron Shal Pesach. Akiva, we're so proud of you. So glad we got to celebrate your English birthday with you last week in person. We love you tons and hope you had an amazingly happy day. That comes with love from Bubby and Zadie, Florida. You know who they are, listeners, Sina and Ira. That's how we know them down in uh, the Sunshine State. And we say happy birthday from all of us here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We start saying Pirkei Avos tomorrow, Chapter 1 of Ethics of the Fathers. First chapter of Pirkei Avos tomorrow around Mincha time. Uh, that is a custom after Pesach. And um, we continue with more on this era of Shabbos. Don't forget, we have an amazing lineup all through the day. A lot of things happening on the Nachum Siegel Network. Right after JM and the AM, it's Table for Two, an encore presentation with Naomi Nachman featuring nutritionist Beth Warren, blogger and cookbook author Leah Shapira, and baked by BB owners Sarah Beebe and Barbara Dayan. That's all happening at 9 o'clock with Table for Two. 10 a.m., it's the Erev Shabbos Music Mix, sponsored by our friends at Kedem. Uh, that includes, at 1 o'clock, the Erev Shabbos Live Lunch with Mark Zamek, featuring great Jewish music, sponsored by our friends at Kedem. Saturday Night Siegel tomorrow night, join Avrami and uh, Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler, who speaks about the Torah portion of the week on Saturday Night Siegel. Uh, also, don't forget that uh, Matis hosts JM Sunday Live, of course, this coming Sunday. Matis hosts JM Sunday Live this coming Sunday between 7 and 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And this coming Sunday, Avram Weissman, the head chef of the Kosher Culinary Center of Brooklyn, is going to be Matis' guest. Avram Weissman, 
uh, Avram Weissman, I'm sorry, Avram Weissman, head chef, Kosher Culinary Center, Brooklyn, New York. He'll be Mathis' guest this coming Sunday on JM Sunday again. JM Sunday is live between 7 and 9 Eastern time right here at NahumSiegel.com and all of the outlets of the Nahum Siegel Network. So check that out and get ready to enjoy that on Sunday. Monday, we bring you the Yamashoah program early Monday morning on JM and the AM between 6 and 9 a.m. This is brand new. Kumzitz in the Rain, volume number three. You're listening to JM and the AM.
Pretty amazing, huh? That is a brand new Habane off of the uh, Kumsitz in the Rain, volume number three. Happy birthday, Ezra Leitner. Ezra Leitner, 15 years old. We say happy birthday from all of us here at JM in the AM. Time to say good Shabbos. Candle lighting in the New York area, 722. We'll say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM. Study and you'll pray 
Shabbos Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners' sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSingle.com, on the NachumSingle Network, and of course on our beloved NSN app. And we certainly hope that everybody comments and uh, makes use of the app over the weekend. You can comment on the app, of course, the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone. And of course, you can listen to all of our fabulous programming on the app as well. And why on earth wouldn't you? Uh, that includes Naomi Nachman, who's next with Table for Two. And, of course, our Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos Music Mix all day, including Mark Zamek's Friday Live Lunch coming up at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And plenty more. Don't forget Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night with Avrami. Matis with JM Sunday on a Sunday morning between 7 and 9 a.m. Avram Weissman, head chef at the Kosher Culinary Center in Brooklyn, is going to be his guest. And, of course, we're back here, Yom HaShoah on Holocaust Remembrance Day, Monday morning between 6 and 9 with JM in the AM. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend till Monday morning. Nachum Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.